Oh, so I meant to say this. So to summarize, what I see from my little perch at the blog with all the people that write to me and the email that I can't keep up with and some of the letters are nice and some of them aren't so nice, um, playgrounds are really becoming increasingly complex spaces. This one-note playground, whether it's a playground of equipment or whether it's a natural playground, the one-note playground really is not cutting it anymore in urban space or in any other space. Okay? There were two articles that came out in newspapers last year about that were basically headlined, is this the world's worst playground? <laughs> right? One in the United States and one in Canada. One was a, um, this kind of... Uh, Con contraption, very modern stainless steel equipment contraption, contraption by a manufacturer that I won't mention, but you can probably guess, and that the children apparently could not figure out how to use. So that was one parent writing this article in a, in a newspaper in Ottawa. This is this the world's worst playground. The second one was a stump laying in a bed of sand. <laughs> And that parent also was saying, I went to this playground, it didn't work for my child at all, they didn't know what to do. Okay, both playgrounds can be bad spaces. But playgrounds really are becoming increasingly complex, they're having to tick a lot of boxes. They are beginning to be evaluated, frankly, as they should be, as community spaces and not simply spaces for children. So we're finally beginning to apply the principles, the concerns of generalized public space design to the playground and seeing them as community spaces. Um, Communities are seeking a synthesis of traditional play provision with natural elements, local context, and strong visual appeal. People have finally recognized that these kind of manufactured contraptions actually don't look very good in the urban space. <laughs> We've gotten quite used to them. They don't look very good in the rural space, let me tell you either, and I don't come from a dense urban space. I come from the, the wide Midwest. So, um, but, but people have kind of started to recognize, actually, this doesn't even look good, right? It doesn't even look good for us. And finally, um, non-traditional providers are beginning to lead the conversation about play, largely by willing to operate at some of these neglected spatial and temporal boundaries. Okay? So there's places that the practitioners just really haven't gone, right? And there's been an opening there, and I'm not saying this, this, this is, good, is bad because I actually think it's good. There's been an opening, I, I mean even I, you could consider me one of those non-traditional providers that are beginning to lead the conversation about play. Um, certainly other bloggers, but particularly, as we'll see in the next slide, we'll start with that one, particularly in the stakeholders. So um, when I started the blog, um, originally my kind of readership kind of looked like this. Um, quite instantly, there were quite a few practitioners who um, I think I just saved them time, basically. Um, I'm putting a lot of playgrounds on the blog. They can come there, see a lot of visual hits quite quickly, you know, save off the ones that are of interest to them, and, and that's kind of a help. Um, and then parents and educators who were concerned about design space for the children and about the quality of design space for their children. Increasingly, um, now, my readership looks like this, though. Um, where most of the people reading the blog, the majority of the people reading the blog are artists, designers, and in some way urban transformers, but not practitioners in a traditional architecture or landscape architectural sense. So these people are extremely concerned about play, extremely concerned about the urban fabric, interested in children. Many of them have become parents themselves, and they've taken kind of, they're younger people, they've become parents themselves, and they've taken their kind of interest in art and design and in transformation and said, you know, why is my kid's playground not any good? Right? So increasingly, these people are leading the conversation. And intentionally, I kind of overlapped that circle quite a bit with parents and educators, because there's a good boundary there, because a lot of those people are parents. But I don't really see it overlapping very much with the professionals. Okay? I don't really see much conversation going on there, um, whether it's the charitable organizations that, that promote the building of playgrounds or the parks and recs departments. They're really um, not participating in this conversation unless forced.
So who are these people and what are some examples? Well, I mean, one really good example is the Rebar Group um, out in San Francisco who started Parking Day that some of you may be familiar with where you transform parking space into whatever you want. <laughs> and that's often gardens or playgrounds. Um, they also you know, participated in kind of playful urban projects, like providing a bunch of inflatable pillows that people can waffle themselves with. And now, of course, they're actually moving into something that we would, in fact, recognize as a playground, designing this um, gigantic kind of climbing structure reflect, re reflecting the great kind of ship crane that's across the harbor in San Francisco. So they've kind of moved from this, you know, te these temporal um, constructions into permanent constructions and things that we would start recognizing and saying, okay, these are physical play spaces. This is a playground. Um, another example of that would be like the urban swing movement, for example. Okay. You see how this is operating in a temporal spa and spatial boundary that, that practitioners really weren't touching. These are temporary, they're in spaces that pra practitioners aren't addressing, and they're addressing people that practitioners aren't addressing. Okay. I'm, I, again, that's not to be critical, I'm just saying that because that boundary space was open for them, they've jumped right into that, okay, because that was a place that wasn't being addressed. And that kind of started in the early 90s with Barsky Brothers in Sweden, and now urban swings are a big deal, and they're putting them everywhere. And this is you know, movement then of the playground into the street in the city. Okay? So that's why those interesting things are happening there is because they're willing to challenge to address that boundary, to exist in that space between the phases of the city and to address play there. And that makes it interesting. Um, but the parents and educators group has also grown quite a bit, actually. Um, I think that you know the, the number of professionals stays pretty discreet on the blog, and they they never talk to me. Those of you professionals in the room, you don't talk to me much. <laughs> um, it's really funny, actually. I mean, I see I see people on there. I'm sure they're not in the room, but you know, Frank Gehry's firm is on there. Sam is on there. Um, so I see a lot of major architectural firms reading the blog, but they never talk to me. Um, <laughs> these are the people that talk to me more, the parents and educators. I get some information from Parks and Rec's departments. But the parents group has grown actually quite a bit too. And the, I think the interesting thing about this group is that, that these are the people, the parents and educators, that have just started making their own stuff. Okay? They're so dissatisfied with what they found that's available and I think the cost of what's available. I was just shocked. Thank you, Tim. I'm running out of time already. Um, and this is where really this kind of space is starting to overlap with maker culture, okay? And so that's really an important theme in trend and playgrounds at the moment is the idea that you, you actually can make your own play space. Shocking, right? And there's a huge plethora of early childhood educators, particularly on the net, that have found playground equipment not right for their children in their program and frankly too expensive. They have a small space and they're literally making their own natural playgrounds. And this is really the strength of the natural playground movement now is the ability to make it yourself. Right? We think of it a lot with community playgrounds where somebody's constructing it, an architect is adding some stumps and stones to their plan. But the real galvanized part of the, of the natural playground movement is the people that are making it themselves in their backyards and in early childhood centers. So the playground and the garden really, I think, are growing at each other. One aspect is the natural playscape movement and the ability to make this kind of small landscape for play yourself, which really isn't available in other ways. But the other place that you're seeing interesting playgrounds constructs is at experimental gardens and experimental garden festivals. So the Booga playground, which is one of the most um, reposted things from the blog, was created in 2005 for a garden festival in Germany. Okay. Um, and I have to say that's an appropriate use of rubber safety surfacing because it's not the whole thing. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's where it should be, but there's still grass. 
And then this Dymaxion Sleeps, which I just posted quite recently on the blog, which is a trampoline net construction over um, Sleepy Time Herbs and was done for an experimental garden festival in Canada. So again, the people that are kind of challenging these boundaries are outside or in creating these overlaps are kind of outside of the normal practitioner space. So what about the gallery? Um, that's another space, another way in which playground design as a functional space is really growing. And an example, for instance, would be the Chattanooga, Tennessee um, city, which is by no means one of the large or leading cities in the United States. Great city, but you know, you don't put it up there with New York and Los Angeles, that sort of thing. But they actually sent out a call for um, interactive and playable public art for this entire space in downtown Chattanooga. Um, the city of Sandy Springs, Georgia, which you would call kind of a new city, it's basically a new created suburb, instead of specifying playgrounds again, sent out a call for playable art features that they would put in a playable art park. This is definitely a budding trend. And then of course you have the Gary Webb design right here in London in which his little jelly beans that would normally be seen in a gallery are instead seen on a play space. Okay, so this is a real trend to grow this boundary between the playground and the gallery. And the exciting thing about this to me is that this is where new forms come from, right? This is where we're getting our new playground forms. This is where the playground of the future is coming from, is from these artist designers that are interacting with playground space.